much to you. Um, it's, a, it's a real joy and honor to be with you uh, this morning. And the first time that I've been here in your new venue, um, how long have you been here now? Six months. Um, yeah, it's great. And it's great to see lots of faces that I don't recognize, even from just coming a year ago. Um, I do have one request. Um, next time you invite me, can it be summer? Um, <laughs> I'm just about warmed up from our drive. I think last time I came in October and it lashed down with rain the whole time. This time we had an hour and a half of fog. Um, so I would like a nice sun-kissed drive uh, up the kind of M2 and the A12 next time, if that's all right. Um, Hughes asked me to speak uh, this morning on the small topic of Christmas, um, which I'm going to do my very best to. So if you have your Bibles, do you want to turn with me to Luke Chapter 1, um, we're going to be reading from verse 26 to 37. Um, we are definitely, I think, in Christmas season now. Um, for me, the World Cup is officially over, uh, so I've turned my attention towards Christmas. Um, just a little kind of survey in the room. Who has their decorations up and their tree? Hands in the air. Okay, good, most of you. Who's bought all of their presents? Not as many. Okay, two weeks, just to say, two weeks to go. Okay, no pressure. Um, I went to my daughter's little nativity show um, on, uh, on Wednesday. It was, uh, it was called The Angel That Almost Missed. Um, it was primarily about an angel that was always late, basically. And uh, my daughter was an angel. She wasn't the angel, uh, but she was part of the kind of angel group. Um, she was Probably the best one, in my opinion, uh, of all of those angels. It was actually quite a good one, though. Uh, it was quite a kind of clear nativity story, apart from the bits about the angel being late. But one thing that did make me laugh is that um, the final kind of uh, bit of reading was, and the baby Jesus is the gift from God available to everyone. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. What a, a beautiful little short snippet of the gospel in a school that isn't a Christian school. And they said, and now, to have the final word, here's Santa Claus. And on, <laughs> and on came a child dressed as Santa. And I just thought, wow, okay, right, yeah, why, why is Santa got to have the final word here when it comes to Christmas? And then I was driving in my car the other day, and I heard on the radio um, a, a group of choir singers who were singing Christmas carols. Great, naturally, that's what you do at Christmas. Um, but they had changed the words of the Christmas carols to be all about the England football team. And so they were singing all about Hark the Herald, Harry Kane, or whatever it was, okay? And I just thought, what is it about this season that we can't just hear the story? That we've got to do something to it. We've got to change it in some way or jazz it up or make it cutesy or make it funny. We can't just tell the story and let it stand alone. Tell the story and allow ourselves to be filled with wonder at the story. Because it is, it is a remarkable story. But our problem, of course, is that we're so familiar with the story. And I can absolutely be guilty as anybody. We've got our carol service next week. And when we think about planning it, and I'm looking at the structure and the readings and kind of go, well, we did that last year, and we did that last year, we did that last year. And it feels like there's only so much to say. But actually, I don't think that's true. I think there is so many things that we could say when we think about this story. And so what I want to do very simply this morning is I want to just spend a few moments looking at one part of this story 
and asking the Holy Spirit just to come afresh and fill our hearts with the wonder of God becoming man. God coming to earth to rescue and redeem lost humanity. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 37. And uh, we'll read that in a moment, but I just want to outline what I want to do this morning. Just three things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the unfolding of God's plan. We're going to look at the revealing of God's pleasure. And we're going to look at the assurance of God's power. So let's start reading then. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we honor you. And we are here for you and because of you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help me this morning to, in my weakness, communicate in some small measure just the wonder of who you are and the wonder of this message that we think about and could be so familiar with every year. And yet it is astounding. And so I pray for each and every one of our hearts here this morning, whether we would call ourselves a follower of Jesus or whether we're just looking in that you would reveal yourself to us this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would show us things in this story that we've never even seen before, or where our hearts have grown cold, Lord, that as you reveal yourself, they would be warmed again in the light of your everlasting love. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first thing that we're going to look at then this morning is the unfolding of God's plan. Now, we know from reading Luke's gospel that Luke liked detail. Okay, He starts the beginning of his gospel by talking about his intention to write an orderly account. And Luke is very good with names and places and 
times. Okay, we read right at the beginning of chapter uh, 1 in verse 5. He says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So he's, uh, he's wanting to root this story that he's about to tell in a specific time and place. When we turn over to chapter 2, when we get to the narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ, he says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so he's rooting this story in a very specific historical moment. Now, perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning, and when you think about the Christmas story, and you think about the different elements that you know of the Christmas story, you think about the, the angels and the virgin birth and the shepherds and the wise men and the gifts and the stable and you kind of think well it's a nice story but it just doesn't feel real you know it feels like a fairy tale or maybe even this morning you are a christian but actually you kind of read this story and all of that kind of just seems a little bit it's again it's a little bit cutesy we've seen so many kind of plays you know done out by children so many nativities that we just kind of think is this like did this really happen like, did this really happen? And yet Luke goes to great pains, okay, to root us in a very specific moment in time. We read in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, okay? So we have specific time, specific place, specific people, and a specific family. And what we have here is not just uh, a reflection of Luke's attention to detail, but actually a reflection of God's attention to detail. What we see just in this opening verse, with all these very specific information, is that God is involved in this story, that God is behind these narrative events that are playing out. What's not happening here is that God is looking on from heaven thinking, how am I going to make the best of what's going down there on earth? The world is in a dark place. Israel have turned away from me. Nobody seems to really be following after me with their whole heart. Oh, but hang on a second. There is, there's this person over here and this person over here, and maybe I can just kind of work it and manufacture it to bring some kind of good out of this. And God is also not kind of sitting down with his angels workshopping in heaven, you know, going, okay, Gabriel, we've got a bit of a problem here. The world needs saving. Things haven't quite gone according to plan. Do you have any ideas? Like, I'm open to any suggestions here, Gabriel. And Gabriel's kind of scratching his, uh, his halo, and he kind of thinks, okay, well, have you, I- I've, got a, I've got one idea. It's a bit left field, but have you thought about sending Jesus to earth and, and through some kind of miraculous conception, and God's like, Let's go with it. I've got nothing else. Okay, So that's, that's not what's happening. What we see is the unfolding of God's plan set in place before the ages. That the whole story of the Bible has been moving towards this moment of Jesus' coming. That when you read through the Old Testament, there are promises right from the beginning of Genesis that look forward to the one who is going to come, the seed of Eve, the offspring of Abraham, the the branch of, of David, the one who is going to come and set his people free and bring salvation to the world. And so what we begin to see in this passage is how those promises that we read in the Old Testament are coming to pass in the birth 
of Jesus. Now, Luke does this differently than, say, someone like Matthew, when Matthew is telling the story of Jesus' birth. Whenever Matthew is making reference to Old Testament scriptures, he's very overt and very deliberate about it. He says, this took place to fulfill so-and-so, or so it was written. And he will literally quote different verses from the Old Testament. Now, Luke doesn't do that. His audience is different. But instead, he includes key words or phrases that allude to those promises. So I just want to give a quick summary of some of the promises in the Old Testament that Luke is alluding to in these verses that we've just read. So verse 26, as we said, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Galilee isn't mentioned many times at all in the Old Testament, but there's one place where it is mentioned and it's very significant. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations." Now, what Isaiah is saying in this context is that there is this region in the north of Israel that was the first to be attacked and invaded by foreign nations yeah, as part of God's judgment over Israel because of their sin. But what he's saying in this passage is that those who were the first to be attacked, the first to be humiliated by foreign oppressors, will be the first to see the dawn of a glorious new era that will come when Jesus comes to bring his light into the world. And so just by that one word, Galilee, we're immediately brought back to this promise in Isaiah, that a light is coming into the darkness from Galilee. We carry on reading in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed. Now this one perhaps is a little more familiar to us. It takes us back to Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So if you're familiar at all with the promises of the Old Testament, and you hear this word virgin, and this promise that a son is coming to her, a virgin, it takes you back to that promise, that promise that the virgin will conceive and will bear a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We move on to um, verse 27 again, and also verse uh, 32. In verse 27, there's a reference to the house of David. And in verse 32, Gabriel describes Jesus as being, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now this takes us back to a promise that Nathan the prophet made to David that is partially fulfilled in the coming of his son Solomon, but ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So we read in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 14, Nathan says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. 
And Gabriel was saying, you're going to have a son who's going to be called the Son of the Most High, and his kingdom will last forever. And just to even build upon that, the end of what Gabriel says is, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, we come back to Isaiah 9 7, where Isaiah prophesies of the increase of his government and of peace. This is after he's just described the, the baby who's going to be born, who shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So, although Luke is not specifically quoting chapter and verse, it's all in there that is showing us that what is unfolding has been planned and has been promised and is now coming to pass. The point is that anybody reading this story with an understanding of Israel's story and the promises of God, of the coming king, will all these things will be sparking off in their brain, going, this is the one. This is the moment. This is what we've been waiting for. God is unveiling his plan. And the text is very clear that it's not just circumstances that are making this happen. That God's not jumping on the back of what's already happening. Rather, he's orchestrating what is already happening. We read in verse 26 that it was God who sends Gabriel to Galilee, to Nazareth, to the Virgin. God is the one who's doing the sending. In verse 32, we read, that the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. God is at work. God is moving. And behind God's plan and him bringing all of this to pass, we don't just see God's sovereignty, but we also see his heart. Because these plans are for our salvation. That, that God has meticulously planned <laughs> All of this to come about so that we might have an opportunity to know him. So that Israel would be restored. So that their light would go to the nations. So that we might be able to be grafted in. Okay, this is a plan of meticulous detail for our benefit. <laughs> for our good. For our salvation. They show God's commitment not to leave his people in darkness. So that's the first thing that we see, the unfolding of God's plan. The second thing that we see from this passage is the revealing of God's pleasure. In verse 28 to 30, we read uh, Gabriel's interaction with Mary. Let's remind ourselves of those verses. And it says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that fascinating. Yeah, I, I read the greeting of Gabriel to Mary, and I think to myself, okay, if an angel came okay, and greeted me in the same way, greetings, O oh, favored one, the Lord is with you, what would, what would my response be? What would your response be? What would we expect Mary's response to be? We might expect the text to say, and Mary was greatly encouraged, and Mary was greatly heartened, but that's not what it says. It says Mary was greatly troubled. And so we've got to kind of ask ourselves the question, why? What's your problem, Mary? You know, like, why are you troubled by this? And we might think, oh, well, perhaps it's just because she's seen an angel. I mean, often when people had angelic encounters in the Bible, they were, they were terrified. Yeah, they wanted to die. 
So you can kind of go, okay, well, maybe that's why she was troubled. After all, that's what it says of Zechariah in the passage before. When he encounters the angel, he's full of fear. And there may well have been a part of that that was true, except in verse 29, it tells us that Mary was not troubled by the sight of Gabriel, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. Not the sight, but at the saying. It was the greeting that she was troubled by that she gave her attention to. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, we're not told explicitly why Mary was troubled at this saying. But I I wonder if there's a clue for us in what Gabriel then says next in verse 30. So Mary is troubled. She's trying to work out what this is all about. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor. So Gabriel repeats the key part of his greeting to Mary that she didn't quite get. He says to her, greetings, Mary, O favored one. She's troubled. She doesn't understand it. He repeats himself. You have found favor. It seems to be that Gabriel wants Mary to hear that bit of the message twice because she hasn't heard it the first time. She needs to hear it again. Before Gabriel tells her anything else of how God is going to outwork his plan, send his son, how she's going to conceive, how he's going to be the son of the Most High, before he reveals his plan to her, she needs to understand that she is favored. That his favor is upon, the Lord's favor is upon her. She hasn't got it at first. Perhaps she's just overwhelmed by the situation, but she doesn't hear. She doesn't receive it. She doubts it. Perhaps in her mind she's thinking, how can I be favored How could the Lord be with me? Perhaps her mind goes back to the great heroes of Israel who were the favored ones, yeah? Who were the ones that the Lord was with. The Lord was with Abraham. The Lord was with Moses, was with Joshua. The Lord was with David. The Lord was with Daniel. Interesting, the only other person that Gabriel comes to with a very similar message. He says, most beloved, to Daniel. That's the only other time Gabriel arrives. And then the same angel is coming to her with pretty much the same message, favored one. How can these words that were spoken over the great men of Israel's history be spoken over me? I'm not like these men. I'm just Mary. I'm just a young girl. How can I be favored? And yet Gabriel reiterates you have found favor, which literally translated, translated means you have found grace. You have found grace. This is the heart of Gabriel's greeting to Mary. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the whole story that we're so familiar with, that God is saying to a people undeserving, you have found grace. 
You see, this is not just God's heart for Mary. Mary sees the blessing of the coming child to her as overflowing to Israel. So when she goes and sees Elizabeth and then responds with this great um, song of praise, in Luke chapter 1, verse 54, she says, He has helped his servant Israel. Through the promise of the coming son, she is able to recognize through this child, God is helping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She's able to see that the coming of this son to her is going to be grace and mercy, not just to her, but overflowing to Israel. And then later on, when Jesus, as a boy, is presented before the temple to Simeon, Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, not just Israel, all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the point is, the message, you have found grace, you have found favor, is for Mary, it's for Israel, and it's for us. Hallelujah. It's for us. You have found favor through the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the key question for Mary, for Israel, for us, is can we receive this greeting? Can we receive this greeting of grace? Or are we troubled by it? Do we perhaps respond like Mary was tempted to respond and say, me? Really? Favoured? When you came to worship this morning, when you come to prayer in your own times, when you think about how the Lord welcomes you and greets you, do you feel his favour? Do you know his grace? When he speaks over you, oh, favoured one. Do you receive it or does it trouble you? How can that be true of me? Now, I believe that it is not insignificant that Mary receives this affirmation of God's pleasure before she receives a revelation of his plan. Because she needs to be confident in God's pleasure, God's favor over her in order for her to be confident in his plan. And it's the same for us. God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. But we will only be confident in his plan for us when we are confident in his pleasure. Otherwise, we will always doubt the goodness of the plan. We will always doubt whether the plan is going to be a blessing for us. When the plan's not coming as we thought it would, yeah, we will always doubt. He's got really good. He's got really in this. He's got really for me. Only when we're confident in his pleasure and in his favor can we trust in his plans. Now, I find it fascinating in verse 34 how Mary responds. We haven't got time to dig into this verse this morning. Very quickly, she says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And there's kind of some debate. Is Mary expressing doubt here? Or is actually she just kind of uh, wants a little bit more detail? I don't think she is expressing doubt because she actually kind of receives it. She kind of says, Well, how's this going to be because I'm a virgin? Yeah. Whereas actually, um, if she just kind of thought, well, this is going to play out in terms of the natural way, she wouldn't necessarily ask that question. Also, Gabriel doesn't rebuke her because of that question, whereas when Zechariah asks, how's it going to be, he's then made silent until John is born. So I don't think there is doubt here. I think she accepts the plan, but she wants to know the practicalities. How true of that is us? <laughs> yeah. 
God says, I'm going to do this. Okay, how? <laughs> no, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah, okay, I get that, but, but how? Often our challenge is not that we don't believe God, but that we don't trust him with the details. We want to know how. We want to know all the different steps along the journey. And the similar, or the same is true, rather, with Mary, it seems. And so then, how does Gabriel respond? And we come on to our final point this morning. He responds with an assurance of God's power. The first thing that we know is, in response to Mary's question, how is this going to happen? Gabriel doesn't direct Mary to do anything. So he doesn't say, okay, Mary, the way this is going to happen is that you need to um, take your vitamins every single day. You need to make sure that you're getting enough exercise, drinking enough water. And when you go to sleep, sleep in this certain position, okay, because then this thing, this wondrous thing is going to be able to happen. It doesn't tell Mary to do anything. When she says, how is this going to happen? What he says is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. How's this going to happen? Basically, what Gabriel's response is, God's happening. (laughs) How's it going to happen? The power of God. That's how it's going to happen. Oh, no, but no, you didn't understand me, Gabriel. I meant, how is it going to happen? The power of God. That's how it's going to happen. No, 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 I heard you, but what I really want to know is, how's it going to happen? The power of God. And it's a very similar thing that happens uh, to Zechariah. When Zechariah... Um, asks Gabriel how it's going to happen, that he's going to have a son. We read in chapter 1 of verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this for? And I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And I love this from Gabriel. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. That's his answer. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Oh, Gabriel, how's it going to happen that me, an old man, is going to be able to, to father a child? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's how it's going to happen, because God's going to do it. Because God has said it, and what God says, he does. That's how it's going to happen, because of the power of God. You don't need to know anything else. That's what Gabriel's saying to Mary. She's saying, how's it going to happen? He's saying, the power of God's going to come on you. But you don't need to know anything else. You wouldn't understand it even if I told you. You don't need to know. The power of God's going to come. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And the result is going to be you will conceive and he shall be called holy. Let me ask you a question this morning just as we come into land. What's overshadowing you? What shadow do you live in this morning? Are you overshadowed by the Lord? Or are there other things that overshadow you? For Mary in this moment, she could have been overshadowed by a whole host of things. Fear, doubt, confusion, anxiety, questions. What is it for you today? What are you living in the shadow of? Because the Father's heart for you is that you would live in his shadow, that you would shelter in his shadow. 
play a little game sometimes with my my younger kids, my oldest one's nearly as tall as me now, so it doesn't quite work. He's only nine. Um, when the sun is shining and there's shadows on the ground, they say, oh, look at my shadow. And then I kind of come up behind them and my shadow consumes their shadow. And their shadow disappears and so they run away and then I try to kind of, you know, consume their shadow. It's a picture of how God wants to deal with us when we're feeling overwhelmed and overshadowed with stuff. Stuff that just weighs us down, the stuff that we just carry all the time. Fear, anxiety, questions, doubt, physical suffering, circumstances that are just overbearing. And we carry them and they're like a shadow that follows around. Things in our past that just follow us around. And the Father just wants to come and just step in. Step in so that the only thing that you see is his shadow doesn't mean those things always disappear, but they disappear when your eyes are upon him. And that's what Gabriel promises to Mary. You don't need to worry about all the details. I want you to see the shadow of the Almighty. I want you to step into the power of God. I believe that God wants to, for some of us this morning, consume those shadows today so that all you see is him. Your attention has been just on that thing or on those things constantly. And actually those things end up obscuring your view of him. Today afresh, he just wants to come and just overshadow you. Just overshadow, just consume those things so that you see him afresh clearly. How can Mary and how can we have confidence in the power of God, confidence that God is able to do what he says, what we read in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. What Gabriel's saying is, Mary, how can you trust in this word? Because here's this word that's come to pass. Here's this promise that's come to pass. Here's this impossible situation with Elizabeth who was barren that God has turned around. So when I say to you, the power of the Most High will come and overshadow you and the child will be born, you can have confidence because you can look at where else I've spoken and you can see how it's come to pass. And the same is true for each and every one of us because we have a book here that is full of the promises of God where he says, I'm going to do this and he does it. Where it looks like it's impossible, but he turns it around. And we've also got the stories of the testimony of the saints through the ages and here today of lives transformed, of situations changed, where what God has spoken has come to pass. So we can be confident that when God says he's going to do something, he is going to do something. And then it's summarized in this verse that we all know very well. And with this, I will finish. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. If there is a message alongside the message of grace that is at the heart of the Christmas story, it is this message that nothing is impossible for God. <laughs> nothing is impossible for God. Virgin birth, nothing is impossible for God. How could God become a man? Nothing is impossible 
for God? How could a people in darkness be brought into light because nothing is impossible for God? How could there ever truly be peace on earth because nothing is impossible for God? How could the broken and the sinful be welcomed in and called favored and receive grace because nothing is impossible for God? How can sorrow be turned into joy because nothing is impossible for God? How can ashes be turned into beauty because nothing is impossible for God? And how can God bring what is dead and make it alive because nothing is impossible for God. This is the message of Christmas. Santa doesn't get the final word. This is the final word. Nothing is impossible for God.